0: We were all shocked on Monday morning when we had heard about the shooting in Las Vegas. It was hard even to think or get our arms around what happened there. We know that Steve Paddock, 66, retired accountant, who well, happened to be a millionaire in real estate, that he had a mission, and his mission was to kill as many people as he could. And he has been planning this, or he had been planning this for a long time. In fact, he was even in Chicago uh, at La La Palooza. He was up in a hotel nearby there. So, uh, concerning, but this guy he had twenty-three guns. Uh, he had 1600 acts of ammunition. His car was a bomb. How evil can a person get? I, you know in these situations that Satan is involved, that the person is either demon-possessed or Satan's driving it, uh, because that's what Satan loves to do is to kill and destroy. So we see the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino. You see the two circles there, the windows. Now, down here in the right corner was the uh, place where they were having the music festival, 22,000 people. Sunday night, last day of the festival. You just imagine there, like, you ever been out to Ravinia? You know, you're sitting, having a picnic, that type of thing, enjoying music. And all of a sudden, you hear gunfire they weren't sure what it was at first, but they learned very quickly. I mean, they saw people dropping around them. I listened to one person's account, and they just kept running. Just talk about terror. Well, it gets much worse than that. You know, it might be a moment away from death. This picture kind of sums up what happened. Uh, People just panicked. People trampling over other people. Just doing anything they can to save their lives. Friends, we need to be in prayer for our country. Especially for the people in Las Vegas, you know. 50 people dead, over 500 wounded. Who knows the extent of what their wound is? Paralyzation, we don't know. But over 500 people. I mean, he hit 559 people. Unbelievable. Now, of course, when we hear this news, we respond with outrage, because it is so very, very wrong. Now, i to take you back to our message last week and kind of talk through this particular event and how people view it. Now, remember, uh, there's three different types of cultures. You have the phenomenous culture. That's God's law. That's how the United States started out. Some were Christ followers. Some were deists where they said, yeah, there's a God that started the world. And then he let it go. But again, God was acknowledged. And God was a part of our culture. And the Bible made up the moral law. And that's why the United States has done so well over the years until, of course, this past century when uh, God is being removed from Everything. So that's not our culture anymore. Heteronomous culture, that's where you have a guy like uh, Kim Jong-il over in uh, North Korea. You know, dictator. He calls all the shots. He will tell you how to live your life and what the rules are. The other type of culture is the autonomous culture. And that's, in a sense, how we think today. Americans think who don't know the Lord or don't believe in God, uh, they feel like they can do their own thing. Uh, They feel that they can, in a sense, make their own law. Uh, So if you think of Stephen Paddock, I mean, he made his own law, didn't he? For some reason, he considered it justice to kill all these people for whatever thing happened in his past. We're not sure. uh, No motive that we can identify. But if he felt that that was right, who are we to say that's wrong? If there's no God, if there's no moral authority, who are we to say that that was a bad thing? Because there's no foundation there. Now it's interesting Because as you watch people respond to things, what will happen is, is that they will be horrified. And why is that? It's because they have a conscience. God gave them a conscience. Not a perfect conscience, but a conscience to know the difference between good and evil. And when we saw this, we saw pure evil, the commentator said. And we can identify that, right? Why? Because God has put that within us. A conscience. So everybody knows there's probably a God. Everybody knows that there is right and wrong. But of course, people don't want to submit to God or Jesus Christ. So the whole idea with this particular argument is, is when you're talking with somebody and, and they're talking about... Just ask them, you know, what what's your moral view? Where do we get our morals? That's the question. Where do we get our morals? If they don't come from God. They're made by man somehow, some way, right? And so it really helps people to understand. It's a good thing to do with some of the hot topics that are going on right now in our culture, the sexual revolution and things like that. And, and, and in those arguments, you just bring these things up. Now, Okay, so you say that's wrong, or you say that's right, but I say that's wrong. So, who's right? That's why you have to have God and a moral standard. This is our discipleship pathway We've worked uh, several years on this, and it's coming together, and I'm so excited about it because it's going to help us at Springbrook to be so much more intentional about encouraging people to go along the pathway. Well, they don't have to, but again, it's there, and we'll encourage them. Right now, we have uh, a starting point class going on. That's offered every month, uh, the second and third Sunday at the 11 o'clock service. And as we've said before, if you have a question, where do you go? Starting point, right? (laughs) And then in uh, 9 o'clock service, we had a go-to class. Go-to in terms of going out and reaching people for Jesus Christ. Uh, So that's another class we have on how to study the Bible for grow in spiritual gifts uh, for equip. So it's just exciting to see this all come together because we are intentional. I don't think you can find a more intentional church in this area about discipleship. I think they're discipling people. But I can't think of a church that has a pathway like we do. And that's so important. And it's a blessing that God has given us. So we're in the middle of our God Quest series. So you see, I put the equip there. Our job, my job, leaders' jobs are to equip the saints, and you are responsible for being able to give an answer to anyone who asks you about his faith, as it says in 1 Peter 3:15. These are the rest of the messages that we'll be doing. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You've got to do it with gentleness and respect. Again, we call this our cornerstone verse. There's always cornerstone verses in the Bible about a particular theme that really just crystallizes it in terms of what we need to understand. And what we need to understand is that people are going to have questions about God, about the truth, about suffering. And we need to be able to answer them. So what we're doing right now, for those of you who are Christ followers, this is a training session. You should approach this particular message like, i got to get my pen out, and I've got to really listen carefully and get this down in order that I might memorize it and know how to answer people when they ask me these questions. Again, you go on the web. I mean, whatever. But be prepared. That's what you need to be prepared for. You don't have to be a, a pastor. You don't have to be somebody who knows the Bible incredibly well. No, you just need to know some of these simple answers. In fact, again, I encourage you to continue to come out throughout this series... Uh, because uh, you will learn what the answers are, and and listen to the podcast. If you want to listen to the message again, or uh, send the podcast to someone who might have one of these questions. Also, our memory verse for October. So we encourage you to be engaged in Bible memory, because when we talk about what the Word of God is, you'll know why it's so important. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a cornerstone verse for the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture is breathed out. What does that mean? Another word for it is inspiration. That God inspired every word in His revelation to us. Very important. God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training righteousness. When you think about this, it's it's similar to a lot of situations in life. You have to learn something. I Had the privilege of taking our uh, Boston Terrier Rizzo uh, after Anthony. Uh, He did a great job, right? Praying for the Cubs. But all I have to say is that I took him in for training. Laurie and I were kind of going back and forth, and (laughs) yeah, the guy was great. Petco, great guy. Teaching, all right. So he taught us about. How to train our dogs. And for reproof. Guy was really nice, so you know if I did something stupid, oh no, come let me show you again. Okay? Reproof, and then he corrected me. And for training in righteousness. Now we have people who are involved in athletics. Same type of thing. This really is the core of how you learn. You're taught, you make mistakes. They're corrected, but you continue to train in righteousness. Friends, the Bible, the Word of God, is revelation to us, should be the most important book in our lives. Why? Because we believe that this Word of God reveals who God is. We can trust in it. We can say yes, after we go through these other uh, proofs. This is the Word of God. And therefore, a book that was written so many years ago, over 1600 years, changes my life today. Yeah. And, and just think about that. Think about what your relationship is with spirit With Scripture, do you have your time alone with God, your tag time every day? Are you meditating on Scripture or memorizing it or listening to, you know, WMBI, different speakers there? Because, especially as you read through Psalm 119, uh, well, Psalm 1, we need to meditate on it day. And night and friends, there are so many distractions. A lot of us could sit down, take out our phone, go to Facebook or one of the media sites, and just spend hours. I mean, there's so much information. Sometimes you just have to block, you get a helpful email subscription uh because you get great articles but it just overwhelms me all the articles so i just have to cut them out i can do so much right and we're constantly distracted from god's word and my main message to you is this is the word of god and this is the book that needs to be a part of your life you need to read the word of god you need to Meditate on the Word of God. You need to memorize the Word of God. You need to base your life on God's truth that's found in the Word of God. It's a precious, incredible gift that God has given to us. Now, the whole idea of God-breathed or inspiration means this. Inspiration extends to every part of the Bible. Sometimes you're reading through genealogies, right? Oh, sometimes I skip that chapter, excuse me. But, <laughs> but it's inspired. And it's there for a reason, right? It's there for a reason. Or sometimes you get into some books in the Old Testament and you say, What in the world is going on? Well, that's inspired truth as God leads you to look at different things. And, I mean, if we all lived a thousand years, we could never fully understand and master the Bible. Because it's a living book, right? The Holy Spirit was the one who guided the authors of the Bible. Inspiration extends to the very words of the Bible in the original language. Those are God's words. Inspiration guarantees the absolute truthfulness of the Bible. How much do you believe that the Bible is the truth? How much time do you spend reading your Bible? Being engaged here at Springbrook, listening to other gifted people who teach the Word of God. Friends, in this distracted society, it's harder than ever for us to discipline ourselves to know God's Word But friends, that's the only thing that is going to give you the life that you would desire in Jesus Christ. That's why we come here every Sunday, worship God, study His Word. Now the claims of the Bible, the Bible, you know, it's interesting you try to keep these words straight. Inspiration, infallibility, inerrant. The Bible is infallible, teaching only the truth. So when you hear somebody say it's infallible, well, it speaks truth. The Bible is inerrant, without error, and capable of teaching truth. So you have inspiration, God breathed, and you have the infallibility of the Bible, and only teaches the truth. And the inerrancy that there are no errors. This is this is important doctrine that you need to understand. You need to appreciate. Well, you say, okay, the Bible says that about itself, but hey, any book, any author could say that about his book. So we're going to look at the defense of the Bible, the claims of the Bible, the credibility of the Bible, the consistency of the Bible, and the certainty of the Bible. The Bible is God's truth, the Bible's claims, let's look at them. second Peter 121 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul. David, John, the authors of these biblical books, the Holy Spirit superintended the process. But again, they each had different personalities. They they wrote in different ways. They had different perspectives. But the Holy Spirit used them. They weren't dictating machines. The Holy Spirit used their minds to speak to them in order that they might write down the very words of God. Forty different authors in Scripture. And you know what the first biblical book that was written? Anybody know? Job! Job! Man, I like that, huh? That's the most ancient part of their scriptures. And it was a good one to start with, right? Haven't we all received encouragement from Job when we've been experiencing difficult times? So it wasn't like that God sat down with Job. He like, said, hey, Job, i got this Bible project I'm working on, and it's going to take about 1,600 years, 40 different authors, and man, you're the first one. I know you've had a tough time, but... You know, I've restored things. I'd just like you to write out your experiences and uh, put that together because you see, I'm going to have all these authors put all these different books together and you're the first, man. (laughs) It's not that. They wrote when God revealed things to them. And again, when we talk about the canon of Scripture in terms of what books actually went into the Old Testament and the New Testament, These books were proven over time. There was agreement within the church, for example, about when they put the New Testament canon together. What books go in? And they had a lot of different things that they looked at because they knew what God's truth looked like. But again, the Psalms were David's songs that he wrote about his life. And you have the Gospels being recording Christ's life all different types of things that come together in fact this word carried along by the holy spirit that means like a sailboat like the wind is blowing the spirit is guiding these individuals and so Without the wind, you're not going to have anything. So the Holy Spirit worked through these men. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. That's about Jeremiah, the prophet. You can't get more clear than that, right? Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Galatians 1, 11, and 12, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not the man's gospel. Remember, Paul, every time he started church, false teachers came in with another gospel that was different. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And he said, hey, I didn't make this up. I didn't, you know, kind of come up with this on my own. It was revealed to me through Jesus Christ. So as we we think and meditate on these verses, we say, wow, the Bible is God's Word. It's the absolute truth. And in this chaotic world we can have a book that reveals who God is. About His love, about His desire for us to be part of His family. To find our identity in Him. And to live for Him. So Those are the Bible's claims. Well, let's move on to the Bible's credibility. Now, archaeologists, of course, discover many things that, give proof to what has been written in other books and things of that nature. And that's been very true with the Bible. Now, archaeology doesn't prove it's God's Word, but it really, you know, things really did happen because you see all these different things? Like Pontius Pilate. Scholars said, oh, no, no, Pontius Pilate, there's no proof of Pontius Pilate ever being alive. Well, at one point they found a stone tablet with his name on it. Well, how do you like that? Right? They're looking for anything, right? Because they want to tear down God. The Hittites, scholars said for hundreds of years, they said there were no Hittites but evidence of the empire in the present-day Turkey came about. Oh, I guess there were Hittites. How do you like that? Huh. And the kings, Belshazzar and Sargon, they didn't exist until evidence was found. Some people thought that David was a myth until they found a piece of archaeological evidence that said the house of David. Friends, it's true. And the more people study, the more archaeology that's done, yeah, all these things happen. It's an amazing book because it's true. And again, it's affirmed by archaeology. Now, in regards to talking about the truth of the Bible, we have to go back to the original languages. That's what they were written in, and so that's um, how we get our translations as uh, scholars study the ancient scriptures and uh, determine uh, what these words mean to us in this particular uh, language. Now, the New Testament has 5,200 complete manuscripts. Fifty-two hundred. There's 8,000 that are partial manuscripts. And all of that, in those books, were written, or were copied, that is, within 100 years after the book was written. Now, if you compare it to the others, you'll see why it's so impressive. Aristotle, only five were found. Five manuscripts. Now, nobody's questioning Aristotle, Right? There's no big debate about Aristotle because Aristotle is not Jesus Christ. Or how about Caesar's Gaelic War? The earliest copy was a thousand years after it was written. Homer's Odyssey, earliest copy, was 2,200 years after it was written. Friends, what we know is that the Bible is the best a tested book in history. People don't realize that, you know, because they don't listen to things of this nature. But man, there's more proof that Jesus Christ lived than any other man in history. More proof, more evidence, because God's Word is true. And we can depend upon it. So, let's look at the Bible's consistency. 500 Old Testament prophecies of Christ were fulfilled. His place of birth, manner of birth, scope of ministry, nature of death, and miracle of His resurrection include many others. Now, what are the chances that one man could fulfill all those prophecies? One person put it this way. who did a study. And they said, okay, Well, you have to imagine, because it's like 100 quadrillion, something of that nature. But if you think of the state of Texas, and you just pour silver dollars up to two feet over all of Texas, two feet of silver dollars, and you take another silver dollar, and you put an X on it, and you just throw it in there. Then you blindfold a man, and if he can find that red, silver dollar, well, that's the chances of one man fulfilling eight different prophecies. You understand? It's like impossible. But Jesus Christ fulfilled all of these things. Then there's amazing unity of the Bible. Now, again, a lot of the writers didn't see the big picture. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit was writing the book. And and everybody should read through the Bible at least once, hopefully more. But if you haven't done that, how many are reading the Bible with our Springbrook uh, program? Anybody? Good. Yeah, just start. U-verse. All, all kinds of wonderful plants. Okay. Okay. Um, So the Old Testament talks about the coming of Christ. The Gospels talk about the appearance of Christ. Acts talks about the preaching of Christ. The epistles, the body of Christ, the revelation, the return of Jesus Christ. It's one thread, Jesus Christ, that goes throughout all Scripture, revealing who Jesus Christ is, what He did for us. And the kind of relationship that he wants for us, because if you just read it, you know, straight through, it, it just gels. And we're talking about sixteen hundred years, okay? Sixteen hundred years. You go back to the fourth century, you know, Starting in the fourth century, end of today, if it was the case. But again, just how it comes together. is so beautiful. Let's talk about the Bible certainty. The Bible is a number one book in history. It's the best-selling book in history. I was reading about uh, Gutenberg. Who invented the printing press. Uh, and the first book, of course, he printed was the Bible. Now, why did he do that? Because he loved God? No, not necessarily. <laughs> because he thought he'd make the most money. Duh! Duh! Well, of course you do the Bible. It's the most popular book. Give me a break. <laughs> Copies printed in more languages, read by more people in history. People had never destroyed the Bible. So many times people tried to wipe out Christianity, Diocletian, Roman Emperor, 300 BC, had people executed if they had a Bible. (laughs) Then later Constantinople, uh, Constantine that is, uh, made it uh, the official book (laughs) of Rome, embracing Christianity. Yeah, Voltaire, who said, Oh, the Bible is a French philosopher. um, You know, in 100 years, nobody would remember the Bible. Well, it's it's ironic that after he died, at some point, the Geneva Bible Society bought his home and produced Bibles in it. (laughs) That is our Bible. The Bible is absolute truth. When people, you cannot say, I don't like this part of the Bible, so it's not inspired. Because once you do that one time, you might as well throw it away. Right? I mean, if you're to say, oh, I don't believe this portion, you're determining what's truth. Not acknowledging the absolute truth of Scripture. I want you to watch a video here. Uh, It's a very well-known story about a missionary and some friends of his uh, that tried to reach the Oka Indians. Jim Elliot had gone uh, to uh, Wheaton uh, College, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it was made into a movie, um, "Beyond the Spear." Anybody see that movie, "Beyond the Spear"? Okay. Well, let's just watch this now.
1: My father and the other four missionaries definitely knew it was dangerous, but they were willing to give up their lives in order for the Waodani to know the truth, what we believe to be the truth. My father arrived in Ecuador in March 1952 to be a missionary to indigenous or primitive tribes in the Amazon jungle. He found out about the Wajorani. They used to be known as the Alcas, now the Wyodani, through another missionary who had been in Ecuador. This missionary said that the Wajorani were very violent, stone age, and they knew nothing about the outside world. It just caught his heart and he felt that those were the people he was supposed to go to. My father and the missionary pilot, Nate Saint, took several flights over the Amazon jungle looking for this group of Indians and eventually came upon this one very small settlement of the Wildani. I saw a thing that thrilled me. It seemed an old man stood beside the house and waved with both of his arms as if to signal for us to come down. Aukas waving at me to come. Nate Saint, the pilot, by that time had found a spit of a beach along the Kuradai River that he knew the Waiorani could walk to. These five men decided to set up camp on that little beach. After three days of waiting at the camp, there were three Waiorani that came out of the jungle, two women and one young man. The joy of the five men was that they were perfectly friendly and there didn't seem to be any hostility at all. But the Waiorani were, of course, suspicious of these white men and really had no idea of the goodwill that the white men had for them. They might be deceiving them, they said. They might be tricking us, and we better kill them before they kill us. We believe it was around 3 in the afternoon, 10 men arrived at the Palm Beach, and with their spears, they brutally speared all five of the men and left the bodies in the water. After my father's death, my mother got to know two Wairani women who had fled the tribe because of of the violence, and they said, we want you and the sister of Nate Saint, we want you to come. And tell our people about God. While we lived with them and we were there almost two and a half years, I of course got to know all of the tribe and the ten men who had done the killing. Amazingly I really don't remember being afraid of them. They were always laughing and they would always make my mother laugh, so I simply enjoyed being with them.
0: When
1: Of course, it was a tragedy, and of course, I often wish that I had known my dad. still do. But I really believe that God allowed this to happen so that more and more people could actually see what real commitment to Christ means, and I really don't believe their lives were wasted.
0: That powerful story. I'd encourage you to watch that movie, Beyond the Spear. It really is amazing. There are other parts of it that also are very fascinating. and uh, But just the fact that these men and their wives were willing to risk their lives in order to get the gospel to these people. They wanted to translate the gospel for them, which eventually happened. But they gave their whole lives to it. In fact, Laurie has a nephew who's a linguist, and he married a missionary uh, girl that... Uh, over in the field, and they—they uh, they have now both gone to South East Asia, and uh, they have been part of different projects of translating the Bible. In fact, her nephew is going to uh, get a doctor in linguistics, because that's what these people do, like Wycliffe Bible translators. They support missionaries that will translate the Word of God into people's own language and no other religion, no other faith even comes close to comparing how many people have translated that special book in their world. Why is that? Because we know the Bible changes lives. Isn't that right? I mean, that's the strongest proof when you walk up, look at a person, you know, he's doing all the wrong things, going in the wrong direction. All of a sudden, he finds Jesus Christ and everything changes. I tell you what, we could continue this service till probably six o'clock tonight if each of us who are Christ followers told us how, or told us how your life hadn't changed about Jesus. That is the strongest argument for Christianity. It's an amazing thing. Amazing. i talk about uh, one friend. This is uh, John Grave. And he died uh, a couple weeks ago. And he, he was with us, he and Bobby, from the very beginning, our launch team. And God used him in such a pivotal way. He was an elder. Uh, he helped us so much with the construction of this building. And I learned so much from him. And I'm thankful for him. But this is a guy who loved the Word of God. He loved to teach it. He loved to share it with people. They had a small group that was pretty close. In fact, they go up to Camp Gerve every summer <laughs> their cottage in Michigan. But as I think about people who really love the Word of God, I mean, he was visiting a person with cancer while he had cancer. Yeah. yeah so we're thankful for John. Let's pray for Bobby and the family as they move to this time. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for John Gervais. Thank you for how you use him in this church. And Lord, again, you have plans for each of our lives in impacting other people. You have it all laid out. All we have to do is follow you. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken our hearts about how important your Word is that it is the only book that we read. Lord, we waste so much time with entertainment. That's that's fine, but Lord, we'd be way better off if we spent more time with Your Word. In Christ's name, amen.